Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. church today. So glad that you're with us, and let's welcome everybody who's with us online. We love you. We're grateful that you're here today, and you are a part of our family. If you are brand new to ACF, we are absolutely thrilled that you're here with us this morning, and we are in a series called Traction. It's been a huge weekend. We had the ladies gathering this weekend, and you ladies were here for that. I heard it was amazing. My lovely bride was able to speak uh, this weekend at the ladies' gathering, which is awesome. And and after she spoke, I got a text that somebody was like, your wife did incredible. And I was like nervously praying for her all morning. morning, And so I was excited about that. Then I got another text. It was like, your wife was really amazing. I'm like, ah, that's great. Then I got another text that was like, your wife is better than you. And (laughs) and I was like, all right, now that's pushing it too, too far. And so... Anyway, but she is. She's always been a better speaker than I am. And so we're praying that God would continue to uh, just use that time together with you ladies in uh, the weeks and months to come. And so excited about that. And uh, so we are talking through what it means to get some traction. And, and that's really the journey that we're on is how do we move forward in our faith as people? And, and the reality is for, for many of us, Uh, There was a point in life where we prayed some kind of prayer, maybe started going to church and and had a conversation with God. And and for a lot of people, that was where your faith began and that was where it ended. And and there's really been been no journey or uh, process since then. And, And for many of us, if we're honest, if we look back at where we've come from and where we are, there hasn't been a lot of change and there hasn't been a lot of progress in our faith. And so this whole series is about moving forward in our faith. The, the first week, we talked about four specific things. The first is that we want to see lost people found. Amen? Like people who are lost. We have a city full of people who don't know the love of Christ. And so we want to see those people found. And then we also want to see found people grow. Uh, being found or uh, praying to, to follow Jesus and making that commitment is just the very beginning of this journey. 
And then we want to see growing people trained. We want to see you identify your gifts and abilities, the, the purpose God has given you, and then walking in those gifts. And then we want to see trained people mobilized and sent out as missionaries into this world. We really believe that we are all missionaries as believers in Jesus to the places that we work, to our schools, and to our city, to the nation, and to the world. And so that's really our heart. And so that first week we talked about moving forward in those things. On, on week two, last week, it was a pretty heavy week if you were here. We talked about getting traction in grief, and so we had an amazing couple up front and interviewed them as they've been through some difficult things in life and come out the other side loving Jesus, which isn't always what happens, right? We know that life gets hard. We go through hard things. We don't always come out the other end loving Jesus, and so uh, just talking with them, it was good for my soul. I got to do it three times uh, on on, uh, Wednesday night and Sunday morning. It was really good for me. Hopefully for you, you learned some things, but we talked about the character of God. And how when things don't make sense and we're dealing with grief, we have to understand the character of God when we don't understand the purposes of God. When there's questions about, man, what's going on and why is my life this way? The better question is, what is God doing? And who is God amidst my suffering? And so hopefully you got some things out of that. We're moving forward this week. And one of the things we've been doing every week is we've got these traction cards on your seat. And everybody's been filling these out. At least most of you have been filling them out most weeks about just how are we moving forward as people, checking a box. And then we're having you put your name and cell phone in there. Has anyone gotten a text so far from us? Okay, a bunch of you. We're just texting you. Uh, you guys know uh, a, a couple scriptures and encouragements on how to move forward in this uh, thing during the week. Uh, If you're like me, sometimes you leave church and it's off to to lunch and we get distracted, right? So it's just a reminder. We're not subscribing you for a magazine or anything like that. Uh, No spam. That's our promise to you. No spam. And so you can just do this uh, at any point during the service. We'll be collecting these at the end during the offering. Just a way for us to move forward. And last week, many of you made some commitments. And, And one of the things we're celebrating today is that 27 of you committed to being disciples of Jesus. So can we celebrate that today at church? That's awesome. That means over the past two weeks, 85 of you have made that commitment. And so we're just celebrating that God is doing something in your heart that you would want to make a commitment to be a a true disciple. Whatever that means to you, I'm just praying you would take steps in that direction to to grow, to be trained, to be mobilized, all that we talked about earlier. Uh, 18 of you said you want to be baptized, which is awesome, and so we want to help you make that commitment and continue forward and take that next step at the beginning of this next month. We'll be offering baptism uh, every month, the first week of the month, so you can know that that is coming, um, so prepare yourself for that. Uh, Really excited to have you uh, join us for that. We had... 89 of you commit to speaking about your own grief with someone else. 89 of you who are going through something or who have gone through something who just need to talk about it. And I guess my question for you today is, did you do it? Did you have that conversation? And if you didn't, no shame, you can do it today. You can make that phone call. And I just want to plead with you, if you are suffering in one way or another, talk to someone. Talk to somebody, okay? There are lots of people to talk to, and um, we always have the connect room at the end of the service where people would love to pray for you and help you to take a next step if you uh, just can't think of anybody that you could talk to about whatever it is that you're going through. And then we had 146 of you say that you want to support someone who's going through grief. 
146 of you said, I know someone who's dealing with grief right now, and I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to text them. I'm going to set up a coffee with them and encourage them in one way or another. And so I hope you did that. If you didn't, um, you can bail out of church at any point and go do that. Make that phone call. Um, I would love for you just to take that step in one way or another. So if you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 3, or you can download the ACF Church app, and all the texts will be on there as well. Colossians chapter 3. One thing you guys might not know about me is I have an older brother. His name's Tim. I don't talk about him very often, um, but I do. Anybody got siblings? A few in the room got siblings? Okay, so I've got an older brother, and um, maybe you have a sibling like mine where you have nothing in common with them. I love my brother, but we are so different. I mean, in every single way, it just seems like he's into things or was into things that I wasn't into growing up, and, and we're so different. And yet, at the same time, like two brothers would, we fought all the time. And it was always like two brothers typically do, fighting for position and fighting for a position of authority, right? Like who's bigger, who's stronger, who's in power, right? Always fighting for power in one way or another. The problem was I always lost. Um, My brother's four years older than me. And uh, in fact, here's my brother. You have a picture of him? There he is. Here's my brother. Do you see the family resemblance? Wait, wait, wait. How about this? Um, so my brother uh, and I, we're just so different. In fact, at one point, my parents forbid him to wrestle with me in any way because I would always end up crying, right? And uh, telling on him and, and somebody get hurt, normally me, um, or we'd break something. And so we just kind of stopped doing that. But I still, as a little brother, I always wanted to kind of take over and take charge in one way or another. And then there was this one evening that I finally had the chance. I finally had this opportunity Uh, to have power over my bigger brother. We were at church on a Sunday night. We were in upstate New York. And uh, because where I grew up, you had church on Sunday morning and church on Sunday night. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we're at church Sunday night. The service got over. It's dark outside. And we're messing around in the car out front of the church. and, and, And we're jumping around in the back seat. And then I lock the door. And then I jump out. And he jumps out behind me. And I slam the door. And I slam all four fingers in the door, and the door's locked, right? And he is screaming bloody murder, and I am laughing my head off. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was a moment where I was like, I finally got him. He's like, help me, help me. I'm like, not a chance, bro. You had it coming for you. This is my moment, right? This is my time. And some beautiful lady from the choir came out and like opened the door and got him out of there. And then I was the one who was in submission because my parents laid into me that night. And uh, in the end, it was worth it. In the end, it was all worth it, I'll tell you, to just have that one moment of power over my brother. What you need to know about this text is, is Paul is writing to a society that is power hungry. And what you might know about our society is we are power hungry. Uh, There's always somebody jockeying for positions of authority or power, and we do it too, right? I mean, we do, we want to be one up on our coworkers, one up on our classmates. It's just something natural inside of us to go after a position of power and authority over others. Maybe you've been in a power struggle before where it's you against someone else, and you're both sort of jockeying for position. So this is the culture that Paul is speaking to, and he wants to flip everything on its head. He says this in verse 12. He says, Put on, then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Everybody say love. 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 Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, this is, a, this is a, a church that Paul is speaking to. This is a letter that he wrote. And, and one of the things about the letters of Paul that we need to realize is we're always getting half a conversation. We're always hearing Paul's response to something he has heard. And he's responding to people in the church that are living off the same operating system as people who are outside of the church. And they are tempted to have authority and power over people to seek that out just like everybody is tempted. And so he's saying things throughout the first part of the book of Colossians about this power structure. He, he wants to communicate what, what used to divide you now unifies you. That, that the church should be completely different than the society it's planted in. In fact, if you look around this room, this is a very diverse community. People from different, different backgrounds, different social backgrounds, economic backgrounds. I mean, we have people from all over the world, different faith backgrounds coming here together to talk about Jesus. This is a very unique thing we do here at church every single Sunday. And he says things like, there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female, no Republican or Democrat. He doesn't say that, but he's just saying that these things that divided you now unify you under Christ. What Paul is doing is he is flattening the power structures of the world, which depending on what side of that you lie on may give you all kinds of excitement or may frustrate you and make you angry. You know, because maybe you're the one in power and you don't want somebody to take away your position of power. So what we know about Jesus, and he says this in Colossians 2, is that Jesus models this by becoming our servant, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. God who has authority and power over all things says, I'm going to take on the skin of humanity and become a man. And not just become a man, but a servant to humanity, He says this in Colossians 2, that Jesus has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In other words, we had debt. We were in debt to God because of our sin. And what you need to know is that as people, as human beings, we are all born into debt, right? Some of you are like, I know what that's like. My parents had lots of debt when I was born. In reality, we as humans, because of our sin, are in debt to God, a debt that we cannot pay. And so Jesus comes and he pays it. He cancels the debt and nails our debt to the cross, right? Colossians 3 says, because of this, because of the way that Jesus operates as a servant to the world, so we should set our minds on things above. In other words, we should consider all people through a kingdom lens, The way that you look at all human beings should be through this kingdom of God, this different, unnatural way of seeing 
other people, which, again, this is not normal. This is not how we are uh, raised in many, many households. We learn young to try to make ourselves greater than other people. We learn young to classify people based on their intelligence or their possessions or their race or their influence. We learn young to do that, to try to seek a position of power over other people. And not only that, that's, that's hard enough to deal with, but not only that, then someone will do something that hurts us. Someone will wound us. And one thing that we know that as life goes on, we will be wounded by other people. And in that moment, what happens is all of a sudden they are in debt to us. Just like we are in debt to God because of our sin, when we are wounded, somebody does something to us or doesn't do something they should have done, right? Then all of a sudden they are in debt to us and we try to assume a position of power, right? I'm above you, you're below me. But the first thing that we need to start with here today is simply this. We are not above those who have wounded us. We all stand equal in need of Jesus. None of us are above anyone who has wounded us. Now, this is a provocative statement. I get that. Because some of you have been wounded, and some of you have been really wounded. Like, some of you have gone through things that we wouldn't even necessarily want to talk about, right? Things that maybe you've never talked about. Things that if we heard the story today, we would all agree that that was wrong. And messed up. And, and in fact, we might even say, don't forgive them. Don't let them off the hook like that. Like, you got to hold on to that. You got you to string them along. They deserve that unforgiveness, right? So, throughout life, we, diff- we, we deal with varying degrees of struggle, varying degrees of unforgiveness in our lives. We're not above those who've wounded us. That's a hard statement to live out. What we know about unforgiveness and uh, anger that's not been dealt with is that it hurts us at a variety of different levels. In fact, scientists have, have seen and doctors have seen that it hurts us at a biological level, right? Um, this is what the Johns Hopkins Medical Journal says. It says, holding on to anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Do you ever think about that, that your unforgiveness is actually killing you? I mean, we know that it's like acid in our soul. We know that it's messing up relationships, and that's what it does, is, is unforgiveness ends up polluting not just that relationship, but all relationships. I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of friendly fire that comes out of unforgiveness, isn't there? Where all of a sudden, man, what that person did to me years ago is placed upon someone who's doing something right now, and that person right now is going to take all the wrath for what happened years ago, right? We've been there before. So it pollutes our relationships. It hurts us on a physical level. It reduces our perspective on life down to very, a very small lens. We don't see life for what it is. And here's the worst part. I think the worst part is that unforgiveness ultimately gives power to the offending party. We think that we are holding a position of power by not forgiving them when really we are putting them in a power position over our lives. They have control. It's like they're in our heads, right? We're brushing our teeth in the morning. We're thinking about them. And we're like, why are we thinking about this person, right? And it, it doesn't start there for most of us. Maybe it's something that began as just discomfort. I'm uncomfortable with this person, with what's going on, with the relationship, with what's happening, what they're saying. And that discomfort turns to frustration, And now you're thinking about it more and more. And that frustration moves on to anger. 
You're just angry about what's happened, and that anger continues on into unforgiveness, and then unforgiveness takes root in our heart in something we call bitterness. I mean, we've all been bitter before, right? It's where we sort of make peace with our unforgiveness, and we let it take up residence in our hearts. We give it a place to live, and we even maybe fuel it and feed it. And we start off by being a little frustrated and being a little annoyed, and now all of a sudden we're like fantasizing about them getting in a car wreck on the way home, right? Don't judge me, right? You've been there. You're like, sinner. I know. I know. We've been there, right? Where you, come on. You've thought some things before, and you're like, oh, where did that come from? How could I even think that? But you realize it comes from something within your heart. And I want to be honest with you, I've been bitter before. Like I've been, I've had unforgiveness in my life that has taken root in my heart. It's taken up residence in my heart and and that has ultimately led to bitterness and where I've had bitterness to the point where I don't even want to get out of bed in the morning. I've literally been so bitter that I don't even want to get out of bed. Some of you, some of you woke up today like that. And so you, you know what I mean. And it could be the smallest thing that takes root. It could be a big thing. I remember when I first got into uh, serving in ministry years ago, um, I was bivocational. I was uh, running heavy equipment, and we were building a hospital, and then I was also working at the church. I was doing youth ministry and worship ministry. And if you don't know my story, I hadn't planned on being a pastor. This isn't where I thought my life was going. And, uh, and now here I am like 17 years later doing this, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a huge blessing. But I had my doubts when I first started, a lot of struggles about ministry, even about the church, because I've been pretty bitter with the church before, bitter, bitter with Christians in general before, and, and so struggling with that, and then I was part-time, which meant that I was getting a paycheck from the church, which is just weird. Um, if you're new to Christianity, new to the church, um, that's something that happens. Pastors, I've had people ask me before, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well this, right? This is what I do, right? And, and, and I was wrestling with that. Is it even right? Should I even get paid? And like, like, what does that look like? And struggling with that in my own heart. I remember one day in the midst of all of that, um, I was leaving church and uh, my in-laws, they had actually gifted Amanda and I this used Honda Accord. They had driven this for a couple of years. They had like 50,000 miles on it. Really nice car, cherry red paint job, like, like really nice, good used car for us as our family was growing. And so I'm walking out of church, and I'm walking up to my car, and this other guy walks out of church at the same time. He's a leader in the church. He's walking out at the same time, and he's walking up to his, like, mid-'80s Ford Fiesta with the muffler rusted off, like, almost hanging on the ground, but with a little, like, uh, like a coat hanger holding it up on the bumper. And he, he, he's got his key in his hand. I've got my key in my hand. And he looks over at me, and he goes, must pay well to be a pastor. And I was like, oh, you did not just say that. You know, some, some people like to kind of leak their ignorance out slowly. Some let it out all at once. And I was like, what do you think? And I wanted to just crush this guy. And, and I didn't. I just kind of laughed a little bit and moved on. And like, I wasn't a big deal, whatever. He doesn't know my personal situation at all. And so I woke up the next day, and it's all I could think about. This guy was in my head, right? 
I'm brushing my teeth and this guy's in my head. I'm driving to work. This guy's in my head. And, and it went on for weeks that I was so angry with this guy. I felt so judged by this guy. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you know when you're like arguing with somebody who's not in front of your face, right? You're so frustrated, so bitter that you're just like, this is what I would have said, you know, if I could have said it in the moment. So you're writing a script down. This is the next time I'm going to say this to this person. And, and finally, I just had to get a hold of him and be like, man, we got to talk, dude. I, I'm trying to deal with this and I'm trying to let it go because, you know, not everything demands a conversation, but sometimes it does. And so I'm so glad we, we talked about the issue and worked it out. But, but what I realized in that moment is that unforgiveness always drifts towards bitterness. The unforgiveness in your heart never drifts towards forgiveness. If you leave it alone, it always grows, okay? It's always, it's like a monster in your life. It's just always going to consume you and grow into something that you never believed it would grow into. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so if you're wondering if you're bitter today, if you have bitterness in your life, here's a, a working definition for bitterness. Bitterness is an unforgiving, resentful, antagonistic spirit towards someone for being wronged. An unforgiving, resentful, antagonistic spirit towards someone for being wronged. I would include towards someone or, or something, whatever it's about. Ultimately, it ends up being directed towards people in general, but maybe you've got bitterness towards a coworker. Maybe you got bitterness about money, right? It's about money, but it's about people who have more of it than you do, right? Um, bitterness toward the church, right? Towards people who should have been there for you or should have cared for you. They didn't care well for you. Um, I love what Tim Keller says. He kind of pins it all down on this. He says, bitterness is our way of telling God that he got it wrong. In the end, bitterness is bitterness towards God. It's when we shake our fist at God and say, God, you screwed this up. You could have done something, you should have done something, and you did nothing, and now I'm bitter, right? And so in the end, all of our bitterness towards other people ends up directed towards God, and you might think that this bitterness in my life is just affecting this relationship, but it's actually polluting your relationship with God himself. It's affecting how you feel about him. Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. It's an important thing. Um, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says this in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is how we should pray to God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he says this thing that has always messed me up. I think in probably a really healthy way, but it's been really difficult for me to receive. He says in verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now what does that mean? Because at first we all get scared, right? At first it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sure I have some kind of unforgiveness in my life. Does that mean God is withholding his forgiveness from me every time I don't forgive someone else? Is that really how this works? The problem with that interpretation is that now God's forgiving or forgiveness of you is predicated upon what you do. And what you need to know about God's grace and forgiveness is that you can't earn it. 
You can't do it. You can't cause God to forgive you. You can't earn his forgiveness in any way. It's not, that's not what Jesus is trying to say. But what he is saying is that the health of our horizontal relationships indicate the health of our vertical relationship. Does that make sense? Like, the amount of forgiveness I have for those around me is an indicator for our relationship with God and the forgiveness we've received from him. Another way of putting it would be that a bitter heart is an unforgiving heart. And an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. There's something about the forgiveness of Jesus that leads us to forgive others. And what Jesus is challenging us to do is take a look at how you forgive others. And it may be an indicator, maybe a check engine light for you to notice that maybe you haven't truly received forgiveness from God. Because how it always plays out is in grace towards other people. John Piper says it this way. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Does not mean that we are lost if the old unforgiving spirit raises its head just once. It means no one who cherishes a grudge against someone dare approach God in search of mercy. God treats us in accordance with the belief of our heart. This is so interesting. Listen to this. If we believe it is good and beautiful to harbor resentments and tabulate wrongs done against us, then God will recognize that our plea for forgiveness is sheer hypocrisy. For we will be asking him to do what we believe to be bad. So he does draw a distinction, which I think is really important, and that we understand that if unforgiveness sort of comes back in, this is not what he's talking about. Like, like you've let something go years ago, right? You thought it was fine, and then you saw them in Fred Meyer, right? And you walked by them, and all of a sudden your heart rate started going up, you know, your script came back in your mind of all the things that you thought you might say one day, but you thought you shouldn't say because it's going to make it worse, right? And, and you just start boiling over again. He's saying, listen... That's part of the struggle of forgiveness. And I want you to know this today. If you're struggling with forgiveness, you're in the right place. But then there are people who have stopped struggling with forgiveness. There are people who have just sort of let it take up residence. This is what he's talking about. He's saying if if it just kind of rears its ugly head once in a while, that's going to be understandable. It's going to happen. But then there's someone else who says, no, don't forgive them, but forgive me which is a belief of sheer hypocrisy, right? God, don't forgive them. Please forgive me. A few things you might not know if you're bitter. Uh, the first thing would be this. If you've ever told a story that ends with, but I'm not bitter, you're bitter. Just, you know that. I'm not bitter. Another things, the thing I think that happens is um, when we tell stories about um, things over and over again. When our stories are on repeat, that's how we know we're, on, we're bitter, right? Uh, your spouse has probably heard the same story a hundred times if you're married about that one situation, that one moment. And when you see that these stories are on repeat, there's a, a sign that there's something that's, that's wrong in your heart, right? We know that. Sometimes what we do is we conceal our bitterness by calling it conviction or passion. I'm not bitter, I'm just convicted, Passionate, right? Just passionate. There's a, a big difference between bitterness and conviction. And, and I want you to know the difference. You see, in the end, conviction leads to a specific response with a goal of progress. If you're convicted about something, you want to see change, there's a specific surgical response 
with the hope of progress. If you're convicted that there are children who are dying without clean water today, which there are, right? If you have conviction, you'll be passionate about creating a, a, a solution, getting them clean water, right? That, that, that's what that's going to be about. Whereas bitterness, right? Bitterness attacks people specifically. Bitterness is, is what happens when we have self-pity with the goal of off- hurting the offending party, right? Like a way of saying it would be conviction attacks the problem, bitterness attacks the person, right? Like it, let's say my kids are getting bad grades in school, and I'm convicted that I want them to be better. And so what, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to help them get tutored, work on their schoolwork. We're going to sit down, hash it out together, and I'm going to try to create a solution. If I'm bitter and I'm like, your bad grades make me look bad as a dad, I'm going to start treating them with resentment, right? It's not about a specific solution. It's about the person. So you'll know the difference. Conviction attacks the problem. Bitterness attacks the person. So hopefully at this point, maybe you've pulled out something in your life and you've realized, okay, this is where unforgiveness resides in my heart. Um, Some of you are thinking, Brian, why can't I just hold on to it? What's at stake here if I just kind of let this continue to live in my heart? Colossians 3.13 tells us that Paul's telling us we should be bearing with one another, which is something we say sometimes. Bear with me, please, right? Give me some grace. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Wow. That's a high call, right? How has the Lord forgiven you? God has a limitless forgiveness, right? At what point does God stop forgiving you? At what what point are you too far gone? Never, right? So he's saying, hey, the same forgiveness that God gives to you, this limitless forgiveness, is the same forgiveness that you are to grant other people. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, which is beautiful. Above all these, in other words, if you forget everything else, if you leave church today and you're like, I don't know what he said, at the end of the day, he says, love, love people. Because in the end, everything that Jesus did was motivated by love for you. And so for us to be kingdom-minded people with a completely different uh, power structure, a completely different way of seeing the world, now we're to operate in and through love in all things, even towards our enemies, right? Jesus says that, right? To to pray for those who persecute us. To love our enemies. It's a completely upside-down way of thinking than what the world around us says. So the the question is, like, what's at stake? What what is my life like if I don't move forward in forgiveness? Because he ends with this idea that this love binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love harmony. My dad sang in a quartet growing up. Love hearing voices blend together. I love when the band is just blended together together. He's saying that love leads to forgiveness, which is like tuning your life to the music of God's kingdom. It's like when people see you and they hear you speak, it's like everything is in tune, which means when we don't forgive, it sounds like this.
<sighs> Man. Who knows the song? Anybody? What is it? What's the song? Give thanks. That's a throwback. I love that song. Wow. Okay. I like compose myself after that. That's, that's difficult. Have you ever wondered why people come to church and, and never come back? It's a valid question, right? And I'm sure it's complex, but I wonder if to certain people in the world as they look at the church that it sounds something like this. Like, as you heard this, I don't know if you're a musician, um, I don't know if you know what was going wrong there, if you know what key it's in, which I think is probably two or three keys that were touched on in that particular video, but you may know nothing about music, you don't know anything about pitch or about how to play an instrument, but what you do know is that something's wrong, right? Like, like there's just something wrong with that. And a church without love and forgiveness is a church that the world sees, and they might not be able to put their finger on it, but they know there's just something wrong, just something that isn't in tune, something that's not right. They might not know anything about Jesus, but intuitively, because I believe that God has written his, his operating system on the hearts of all of humanity, that we all sort of have this, this understanding of what is good and what is bad that God has given us, that because of that, they know there's just something wrong when the church doesn't operate in love. When we say, Jesus forgives you, but I will not, there's something out of tune with a life like that. Until you forgive, you will have spiritual dissonance in your life. And some of you walked in here today with some spiritual dissonance. Like there's just something out of tune and you don't even know what it is. And, and maybe it's not somebody else speaking into your life, but it's you looking at your own faith and you're like, there's just something that's wrong. Something that isn't functioning properly. Like when I think about it, it's just not working. I think we pick up on the hypocrisy first. And it causes us to pull away from church. It causes us to pull away from Christians. It causes us to pull away from God himself. Because the internal narrative is, I'm a Christian. Jesus has cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. In the eyes of God, I'm perfect and holy, even though I act imperfect and unholy. I'm an unworthy recipient of God's unending grace, but the gift I have been given, I'm unwilling to give. And I think when we know that's the internal narrative, we know there's something wrong, and sometimes we're just not willing to do the work or to be humbled to the point that we fix what's broken. And so we hang out in this place of spiritual dissonance. So how do we get traction? How do we move forward? Hopefully that's your question today. Verse 15 says, first, we must let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which means that other things tend to rule in our hearts, right? You actually have to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. How many of you know gratitude helps with forgiveness, right? To be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sometimes we need the truth of who God is to infiltrate our unforgiveness. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
That's a challenge. Like everything you do and everything you say, you should be able to say it and do it in the name of Jesus, right? The words that come from your lips, the actions in your life, you should be able to say, I said that in the name of Jesus. I did that in the name of Jesus. And if you can't do it in the name of Jesus, you probably shouldn't do it or say it, right? So we should do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. So what does it mean to do things in the name of Jesus? It means that we have to apprentice our lives to Jesus. And when we apprentice under Jesus, we will learn to forgive like Jesus. We watch the way Jesus lived. Do you know Jesus always knew who he was? Jesus did not have an identity problem. He knew who he was. He, his whole goal on earth was to please the Father, right? And I love the, the baptism of Jesus where the Father looks down and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before he does any ministry. That's just a little side note. Before he does anything, he's just pleased with his son for who he is. So Jesus knows the Father is pleased with him. And from that position of knowing who he is, from that identity, he then goes and ministers to the world, right? From that position. So in the end, I'll tell you, I believe a lot of unforgiveness is an identity problem. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. You see, when we know who we are in Christ, we are not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Christ has done. We're defined by what God says about us, which means that we are not defined by what anybody else does or says either. So when we know who we are, what they say, what they do does not threaten our identities. We can overlook an offense. We can overlook a situation where somebody does something or says something that hurts us. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I love what he tells us to do is to put on the character of God. Okay? That we're to put on the character of God. That we can't just make ourselves forgive. Here's what I know. I know that at the end of this sermon, you can't just necessarily go, okay, I'm going to go forgive, Brian. Thanks. Thanks for the, the, the quick little sermon. Now it's all better, you know? I know that that's just not reality. You don't, have, you don't have it in you. You need the Spirit of God to work through you to do that. But what you can do, what you do have in you, is to put on the character of Christ. It's like flexing a muscle. It's like working the muscle. Forgiveness is like a muscle. Maybe you know somebody like that who just seems to forgive. Do you know somebody at work maybe that's like that? It seems like nothing phases them. People say stupid things, do stupid things, and they're like, whatever. You're like, are you oblivious? Do you not see reality? And it's not that they're oblivious or, or that they don't see reality. It's just that they've worked the muscle of forgiveness. They know how to forgive. And you, all, you also know someone who's easily offended, right? You know somebody who it, just the, the wrong look can set them off for days. And so it's a muscle that needs to be worked out. And here's what I was thinking that this means. If forgiveness is a muscle, then bitterness is a sign of weakness, not strength. Your unforgiveness has not placed you in a position of power over someone else. You've actually given them authority in your life to control your thoughts, to control your feelings. One of the biggest questions that I get when I talk about forgiveness is, well, then what do I do with what happened, right? Do I just let it go? You need to understand this, that forgiveness is not approval, when Jesus forgives you and I, he's not approving of what we do. He's saying, my grace is greater than your sin. Just as when you forgive someone else, it's not to approve of their behavior. 
It's to release them from a debt and ultimately to release yourself from that situation. But forgiveness is not forgetting. In fact, somebody this week asked me, hey, where in the Bible does it say forgive and forget? Do you know the answer? Nowhere. It doesn't say it anywhere. Forgive and forget. The verse people bring up is Hebrews 8, 12. It says, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities. This is God speaking. And I will remember their sins no more. Right? But if you look at the Greek of that word remember, what it actually means is actively remembering. You see, God knows all things. God doesn't just forget, oops, forgot about that, you know, like, oh, I didn't realize you did that the other day, right? God doesn't just forget, but he can choose to not actively remember what we do, right? And so just in the same way for you, with whatever's been done or said to you, there is a way that you might not be able to, to actually, like, forget what happened, but you can, you can choose to not actively remember that thing. You can, you can let it go in a way that it's not part of your day-to-day existence. And I believe that that's what God does for us. I believe a beautiful example of this, um, I was reading this this week, um, Clara Barton, who's the founder of the American Red Cross, uh, she's been through some difficult things in life, and a friend of hers was talking with her about it because she sort of acted like she'd never heard of this particular incident that had been done to her. And here's the conversation. Her friend said, don't you remember it? Her friend asked. No, came Clara Barton's reply. I distinctly remember forgetting it. See, there's an intentionality about that. No, I know that happened, but I'm choosing to forget that incident. I'm choosing not to actively remember that incident. I'm going to move on from that situation. And I believe that, again, we're modeling the way of Christ that Jesus, when, when we sin, that our sins don't just go away. Do you know that? Like our sins don't just disappear. Our sins were laid upon Christ. All sins were laid upon Jesus. They were paid for in full, and it cost him his life. And for some of you, to forgive today is going to feel like death. It's going to feel like something's dying inside of you to forgive that person. But in the same way as Christ's death led to resurrection, our own forgiveness of someone else will lead to new life for us. So what is it that you need to forgive? How do you move forward? How do you begin this process? I think we have to begin by receiving forgiveness from God. And again, if you walked in here today with a gap between you and God, sort of this issue that's going on there, I wonder if some of it has to do with something you haven't let go of someone else. You haven't let go of something because those who look to God and say everybody but him are bound to look to God and say everybody but me. If you're like, God, your forgiveness is unending. It's limitless except for, for that person over there. Don't forgive them. Then there's a good chance that you'd apply the same limit to yourself. You might create a distance between you and your loving father who says, come to me. Come to me. So what's your next step today? I want you to pull out your traction card. I'm going to pull these off your seat real quick. This is an all play. So if you're here today, join us in this, if you would, please. Um, there are a few next steps to take. If you can grab a pen and, and check whatever your next step is today. The first one is to just receive forgiveness from God for the first time. Maybe you've never really received it. Maybe you've placed limitations on Christ's forgiveness of you. And today you're just going to receive it. You're just going to believe that he is 
big enough and that the cross was sufficient enough for even what you did and where you've been. Maybe your next step is to get baptized to display God's forgiveness to other people. That's what we're doing when we get baptized. It's to display how great God's forgiveness is. And if you're here today and you're like, man, people are going to judge me. I don't know what my friends or family are going to think. They know what I've done. They know where I've been. All the more reason to get baptized and show how good God's grace is, how great it is. Maybe specifically you need to make a difficult phone call and talk it out. I mean, from the beginning of this talk today, you knew exactly who you needed to talk to. And maybe you just need to make that commitment to leave church today or, like I said, if you just need to leave during the music and go have a conversation in the car, um, feel free to do that. Take a step forward, make that phone call. Or maybe for you today, you are realizing that there's some unforgiveness in your heart and you are asking God to begin the process of forgiveness within your heart. If he starts you on that journey, that you, it, it's gonna be hard. There's gonna be some wrestling. You might fall down a little bit, but that you're asking God to give you the strength to move forward in that journey here today. So... You fill that out and drop that in the basket at the end of service. Would you stand? I'd love to pray for us as we close here today. Jesus, we just begin by being grateful for your forgiveness of us. And Father, I want to pray that we all would receive your grace in, in a new and fresh way this morning. God, that we wouldn't limit the power of the cross in our lives and limit your forgiveness of us. And in the same way, God, that we wouldn't limit it for others. God, may we be able to pray for our enemies, that we'd pray for those who have persecuted us. God, would you give us, us an ability, a, an ability to love people who we feel right now are completely unlovable. Father, show us how to how to draw boundaries. God, show us where to draw lines, but God, show us how to move forward. Show us what our part is to play in restoration. Maybe there's a relationship that can be healed today. Father, I pray you'd help us to heal it. Maybe there's some freedom to be found in our own hearts today, simply letting someone's debt go. They might not even know it. Some people don't even know they're in debt to us. So Father, I pray today could be the day that we let that debt go. God, I pray we as a church would love others and when people see ACF Church, they would experience something that is in perfect harmony with the truth of your gospel. I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.